Well, good morning, folks. So, uh, for those who are online, for those who are in the room, uh, welcome. Uh, if, if you haven't seen me before, Diane did tell you who I was, but just in case you've forgotten, my name's Jeff, and it's my privilege today to share with you um, the fifth in our series of messages on the 23rd Psalm. Now, as we have been going through the 23rd Psalm, we have seen that this, there, there is an extended metaphor in the Psalm of the Lord being our shepherd and of us being the flock, the flock that he leads. Could we have the Psalm up on the screen, please? Um, I, I hope that's large enough print for you to read uh, for the old people who are sitting at the back of the room. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to squeeze the psalm onto the one page. Uh, I'm not going to read it through to you, but uh, I want you to be able to see it because there are a lot of commentators who believe that the shepherd metaphor actually ends with verse 4 and that in verse 5 a new metaphor starts that of the Lord being our gracious host. And you can even see that hinted at up on the screen because there's an extra half a line gap between verses 4 and 5. And I copied that straight off the, the, the uh, text of the Bible. So it's there. Whoever, whoever printed it out in the Scriptures thought, oh, yeah, there's a gap there. Personally, I'm not so convinced that uh, the metaphor of the shepherd disappears from the scene altogether even though it's perhaps not directly in view. I think there's a continuity in the theme of this psalm. And, and I, I wonder if you would allow me to kind of reframe the psalm a little bit in the light of the, uh, the, the, the journey that we've been on over the past few weeks. So when we looked at verse 1, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, we talked about the choice that we make to follow the shepherd. In other words, it's, it's like a journey. It's like a pathway that we are, are, are walking with the shepherd leading the way for us. And, and in verse 6, we discover that that pathway takes us through the entirety of this life and on into eternity with God's goodness and God's love as our travelling companions. So back in verse 1, right? because of the goodness and the love of God, as I follow the shepherd, I lack nothing. We, we are complete in Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, and our life is complete in him. Now, when you come to... Um, Verse 3 that Diane uh, talked about the other week, we discover that wherever the pathway goes in life, that our goal is to live uprightly and so bring glory to the name of the Lord. In other words, it doesn't matter where the path goes or what happens, that's our response to seek to glorify the Lord with our responses in our relationship with him. So verse 2 that, that Jennifer looked at tells us that sometimes that pathway takes us into some really pleasant places. Green pastures 
gently flowing streams where we can just lie down and bask in the presence of the shepherd and embrace with gratitude the good gifts that Jesus gives to us. Last week, when we looked at verse 4, we discovered that sometimes the pathway takes us into some pretty dark places, some fearful places, where our response is to, to avoid catastrophizing, if I can pick up Troy's word, to avoid catastrophizing by trusting in the shepherd. And then in today's verse, verse 5, we discover that sometimes the pathway takes us into places where the threat is immediate, where we are under attack from the enemy. And what is to be our response? Well, that's what we're looking at this morning. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and ask you to open our eyes that we may see you, to open our ears that we may hear you, to give us humble hearts that we may respond to you and yield our lives to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, look, I hope that there's nobody in this room who does not know what Star Wars is. Um, if, if you don't, I'm, I'm very sorry for you. Uh, I'd, I'd like to, uh, to show you a little video clip from the original Star Wars movie, which is actually episode four, but it's the original Star Wars movie. Luke Skywalker, Han Solo and Chewbacca uh, have tried to rescue Princess Leia and have ended up in a garbage disposal unit. So they've ended up in this garbage disposal unit. And, and in, this is a place, um, this is a dark place, right? It, it is a place of high anxiety for them. And they start catastrophizing, right? Look, they're going to work out where we are at any minute. And Princess Leia says, things could get worse. And then you hear a growl. And Han Solo says, it's worse. <laughs> Things could be worse. It's worse. Last week when Troy was talking about Psalm uh, verse 4, he talked about going through these dark valleys, these dark places where we have a t tendency to catastrophize, um, to imagine the worst-case scenario. To, to say to ourselves, things could get worse. And in a little aside, Troy said, and sometimes things do get worse. Well, if in verse 4, David was saying, things could be worse, in verse 5, he's saying, it's worse. We suddenly find ourselves in a situation where we are under attack from the enemy. Where, where the enemy is raging at the door, the very doorstep. And the question is, what's our response going to be? Have, have we got this working again? Uh, yes, we have. 
our response. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, as I stand back from that and look at it, it sounds to me like there's a party going on. There is a celebration going on, even while the enemy is at the doorstep, right? There's a, a sumptuous feast prepared on the table. The, the cups are overflowing with wine and the, the oil, that's the oil that the, the host uses to anoint the guests as they arrive, uh, weary perhaps from their journey, but he anoints them to help them feel refreshed and, and renewed. There's a celebration going on. So uh, Derek Kidner says of uh, this verse, it is one thing to survive a threat, as in verse 4, quite another to turn it into a triumph. Every detail here is in that key, from the well-set table to the festive oil and the brimming cup. It's talking about celebration. It's talking about feasting before the foe. Now, let me just put a little pause on that for a moment. Because when we talk about an enemy, when we talk about a foe, we need to understand what we're talking about. Now, if you read through the Psalms and if you read through the, the life of David, it is very clear that his enemies were human enemies. And if I, I may borrow a phrase from the Americans, enemies both foreign and domestic, from outside the nation and from among his own people, he was under attack by other human beings. But if we, if we treat other people as the enemy, then I think we have misunderstood the teaching of Jesus when he said that we are to love our enemies. So if other people are not the enemy, who is? Well, let's listen to the words of Paul. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against other people. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, when Paul talks about powers and authorities and rulers and so on, he is talking about spiritual powers, demonic beings, right? The minions of Satan. That's where the enemy is. It's not an enemy that we can see, but it's a very, very real enemy. Peter says of this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Now, there is a common caricature of the devil. And if we can put that little picture up, a little red creature with horns and a tail and a pitchfork. Personally, I think the devil would love that caricature because it portrays him 
as a cartoon character, right? Uh, a little impish, but not someone that you need to take very seriously. Perhaps even fictional. Yet if the words of Paul and Peter say anything to us, they say that we need to take the devil seriously. Because the devil has a goal. And that goal is to devour us. Or to use the language of John 10 and verse 9, to steal away, to kill off or to destroy the faith that we have in Jesus Christ and the life that we have in him. And Paul tells us that the devil also has schemes or strategies. And among those strategies, can I suggest that there is temptation, there is accusation, there is deception. And we really don't have time to try and unpack all of that today. But, but there is an important strategy of the devil and that's coercion. In which the devil brings very difficult, harsh, trying circumstances into our lives. Pain and, and suffering and sorrow. And his aim in this is to induce us to throw up our hands and say, look, if this is what being a Christian's all about, I've had enough. Count me out. And the victory in that space is to be able to stand our ground, to resist the devil and to continue to trust implicitly in Jesus Christ and to live the life to which he has called us. So when that attack is raging, <clears throat> what is the celebration about? What is it that we can, we can party about in the face of the enemy? Well, first of all, we can celebrate the blood-bought victory of Jesus. The blood-bought victory of Jesus. Now, <clears throat> the risk of... Um, poking around in some um, pretty painful sores for Brisbane supporters, if there happen to be any in the room. I would Look, I, the last week's grand final, I didn't support either team. It didn't matter to me which team won, as long as it wasn't Brisbane. Uh, <coughs> I'm saying that with my New South Wales cap on, all right? Born and bred in this state. Um, I, I didn't support either side. But going back to the grand final... <clears throat> it was a <clears throat> excuse me it was a contest between two equal teams uh, and the result of the contest was up for grabs right until the final minutes of the game as it turned out penrith won and brisbane are left to consider what they might have done differently just one little thing that they might have done differently that would have enabled them to win instead of Penrith. When it comes to the contest between Jesus and Satan, it is not a contest between equal and opposite powers. Opposite, yes. Good in Jesus versus evil in Satan, but not equal. Because Jesus has already won the war. Yes, there are battles to fight, sometimes some pretty rough battles, but Jesus has won the victory. 
So Paul says in Colossians 2.15, having disarmed the powers and authorities, and there are those words again that Paul uses to talk about demonic forces, the powers and the authorities, Satan's minions, having disarmed them, having stripped them of their power, he triumphed over, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, Lorraine said at communion, um, when you think about Jesus, do you think about the way he was humiliated? Do you think about the way he was battered? And from a human perspective, that's right. But let me tell you who was humiliated at the cross. Let me tell you who was battered at the cross. Let me tell you who was defeated at the cross. It was Satan. It was the forces of evil. Because it was there at the cross that Jesus won the victory. It is a blood-bought victory. In Revelation, when we hear the angel say, that the lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome, when you actually look, you see a lamb standing as if it was slain. It is the slain lamb of God who won the victory. And when we celebrate that victory, when we claim that victory, when we stand on that victory, we too enter into the victory that Jesus has won. It's not our victory, right? It's his. He's already won it. And in Revelation 12, when it talks about this conflict between the forces of Satan and the angels and, and people, it says that they overcame him, they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb. That's why it's important to remember the sacrifice of Jesus as we do regularly in communion because it actually takes us back to the place of victory and we stand on that victory. It was because Jesus was willing to go to the cross that God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, of things on earth, of things under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Every knee and every tongue includes Satan, and it includes the demons. Jesus, you have no rival, you have no equal, now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. Jesus has won the victory. When we stand on his victory, we enter into that victory also. But when I was um, a, a child, a boy... I was rather fond of Biggles books. I don't know if you don't know who Biggles was. Um, it was a fiction. You do. Good work. Yes, there are a few. Right. Um, he was a fictional character, but he was, uh, he was a pilot, um, an RAF pilot in World War I and in World War II, as, as well as doing other things. And in, in one conversation, Biggles says that they discovered that the key to victory in aerial battle was the height and the sun. To get your plane up above the enemy and come down from above and to get yourself between the sun and the enemy 
so that he can't see you coming. The height and the sun. Well, my friends, we have the height and we have the sun. We have been raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. In those heavenly places where Jesus is far above all rule and authority and dominion and power and any name that can be named. When we go into battle against the devil, we do so in the authority and the victory of Jesus Christ. Right, we celebrate, we embrace, we claim and we stand on the blood-bought victory of Jesus. The second thing that we celebrate, okay, we celebrate the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. We're not alone. God is present with us in the person of the Holy Spirit and God's power is at work through the person of the Holy Spirit. Look, apart from Jesus, my favourite Bible character is David. Yes, I know that David had his flaws and his faults and his failures. But as I read the life of David, I see that he had an understanding of God and a relationship with God that was quite unique amongst his people of his time. And maybe that's nowhere better seen than in the conflict with Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we don't have time to unpack the whole chapter, but just a couple of verses will do us. Um, it, it's David's response to Goliath when Goliath started taunting him and threatening him. You come to me with your sword and your spear and your javelin. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. David was effectively saying to Goliath, You know what, Goliath, you are right. I am just a boy. I do just have sticks and stones available to me, but I've got something that you don't have. I have the Lord. And I have all the power of the Lord at work in this place, in this time, and this battle is the Lord's. And that is a consistent theme of Scripture. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Right? It is his power that is at work in us. It is his power that is unleashed in us. Now, I want to read a, a passage from 2 Corinthians that is actually not the one that we've got um, on the screen. So I apologise for that. It was a, it was a late decision to, to change tack. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Okay, the enemy is on the attack, tormenting Paul with the thorn, whatever the thorn. Look, I have not yet read a satisfactory explanation as to what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. But it was there and it was part of Satan's attack on his life. And Paul didn't like it. And Paul's response, three times I pleaded with the Lord 
to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight. Okay, here's the party. Here's the celebration. Here's the feasting. I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. I delight in them. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. It is precisely when we are going through difficult, tough, hard times that the unmatched power of God is unleashed in our lives through the Holy Spirit. And the invitation to us is to trust in the power that God gives and to trust him to win the battle in us and through us. We celebrate the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. The third thing that we, <clears throat> we celebrate is the transforming work of God. God can turn things around. Romans 8.28 God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him for those who are called according to his purpose. Now let me just say this. One thing that this verse is not saying. This verse is not saying that if we love Jesus God is going to take away all of our troubles and life is going to be a bed of roses. What it is saying is that whatever happens to us and around us, God can use that to bring about his good purposes for our lives. So the question is then, what is God's good purpose for our lives? Well, Paul answers that in the next verse. Those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Here is the plan that God formulated before he even created the world. That you and I become like Jesus. That's his good plan for our lives. And it is a plan that God is working on in anything and everything right through until the time we stand in the presence of Jesus and are totally like him. God is shaping us. And the very experience of going through difficult times, of tough times, is actually contributing to that process of becoming more like Jesus. So if I can go back to uh, 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul started off by saying, uh, therefore, to keep me... From becoming, from exalting myself, right? One outcome of going through this time of trial, apart from God's power being unleashed in his life, another outcome was that he actually learned some humility. And humility is a characteristic of Jesus. 
Peter explains it this way. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Okay, rejoicing, trials, feasting before the foe, partying in the presence of the enemy, rejoicing even in trials. Why? Because these have come so that the genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. So Peter is picturing the trials that we go through as being like a refining fire. It's probably about 30 years ago I'd taken some time to do some work on my master's degree and uh, to help pay the bills... Uh, I got a casual job in an aluminium foundry. Now, as it probably pretty obvious, the aluminium foundry made aluminium products, right? Uh, such as outdoor tables and, and stools that you might see in a park or in a shopping mall or something like that, and other products as well. But uh, part of my job in the aluminium foundry was to help the furnace man do his job. Now, he would put these solid aluminium blocks into a big pot and swing the pot out over the furnace. And it would be heated up to temperatures of between 700 and 750 degrees Celsius. That's hot. And at that sort of temperature, the aluminium melted. And when the aluminium melted, impurities would float to the top. And then he'd toss on some kind of magic powder that apparently bound itself to the impurities. And my job at that point of time was to get this metal object and to skim the impurities off the top of the molten aluminium so that when it was poured into the moulds, only pure aluminium went in there. Metal is put through the fire to strengthen it and to purify it. And when we go through tough times, when we go through difficult times, it is a way of strengthening and purifying our relationship with Jesus and our faith and the life that we live in his name. When you think about it for a minute, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It seems to be that most, if not all of those things, only grow in the face of difficult times. I mean, you don't grow in your love for other people by spending your time in the presence of people who like you and whom you like. Right? You grow in love when you spend time around difficult people. And sometimes hurtful people. Difficult times uh, are a transforming process for us if we allow God to do his transforming work in us. And so when the enemy is raging at the doorstep, we are able to celebrate the transforming work that God is and will do. I think it would be fair to say that nobody enjoys going through difficult times. But actually, you know, it is the only way 
if we are to fully experience the presence and the power and the victory of Jesus Christ and the transforming work of God in our lives. Said before that what happens to us in life is not the real issue. The real issue is how we choose to respond to it in the context of our relationship with Jesus and the life that we live. And we are being invited in these tough times to respond by, by celebrating and, and claiming and standing on the blood-bought victory of Jesus. Going into battle with his victory as our foundation. By celebrating the, the, the presence and the power of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. It's his battle, not ours. He's the one at work in us and through us. And by responding in Christ-like ways to the challenges uh, as we see God at work in our lives and through us. Look, there, there may be some people here in this room or even watching online um, who are going through some pretty tough times right now and you would like someone to pray with you about that. It's to pray about um, how you may be able to respond in, in a more trusting, a more Christ-like way. To, to pray that you, you, you may be able to experience the presence and the peace and the power of God at work in your life. Um, we'd love to pray with you about that. Uh, there may be those, whether here or, or online, um, who actually haven't yet come to that point of, of choosing to follow Jesus as Saviour and Lord. You don't know the experience of having Jesus at work in your lives and of seeing his life unfold in yours. And you may like to have that conversation with us. We'd love to share with you in a way that can help you come a little bit closer to Jesus today. So if that's the case, then if you're online, please reach out to us. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and to be able to connect with you. If you're here in the room please take the opportunity at the close of the service um, to have a conversation with us, to have prayer with us. And um, we would love to, uh, to stand with you and with Jesus uh, with regard to what's happening in your life. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you that you are a God who is with us no matter what the circumstances around us. And sometimes, Lord, life gets challenging. Life gets painful, hurtful. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. To remember that he is the victor. That he has triumphed. And that we share in that victory when we trust in him and in the power he gives. Lord, fill us with your grace so that your grace is sufficient for us to sustain us and to transform us, whatever is going on. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.